Welcome into this week's edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast, alongside Sun Devil Source publisher Chris Cartman. I'm your host, Kerry Crowley. Chris, spring football is back at Arizona State as head coach Todd Graham prepares to enter his sixth season with the Sun Devils program. Plenty to cover in this week's edition of the podcast. We saw two practices this week on Tuesday and Thursday. We also saw Arizona State hold its pro day this week on Thursday afternoon. And we'll recap the end of the Sun Devils basketball season as they finished up play in the Pac-12 tournament last week. But let's jump right into this with your evaluations and analysis from the first two days of spring ball. We're back, baby. Uh, <laughs> you know, I... I I don't, it doesn't feel right without football to me. And, um, maybe that's just cause it's what we do for a living, but I agree. <laughs> but, um, no, I think, um, you don't want to get ahead of yourself. It's just two practices. It's helmets only, no, no pads, no shells. We're, we only get to see about 45 minutes to an hour of each practice. Your head's on a swivel. You're trying to see where all the guys are practicing position moves um, who's lining up where, what a depth chart might look like, uh, how guys physically are put together, who's added some size and strength, who's lost weight. The first two days are really about that more than anything else because we're not seeing 11 on 11, 7 on 7, even one on ones really. Uh, and so uh, it's just important that people don't get too ahead of themselves in, in, with asking questions that are really difficult to be able to determine like who's winning the quarterback battle um you don't win that on day two of spring ball there's not even any defensive backs out there that we're seeing you're not there's nothing that really would tell you that so um and by the way to that point we're not going to know who's winning the quarterback battle until august anyways at some point so or maybe we have an idea, but it's not going to really mean that much in the in the grand scheme of things. So, um, but 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 nevertheless, there were still a lot of things that we were able to glean from those first couple of days that we'll be able to go through here. Yeah, one of the most important things we do for the first few days of spring practices is track where each player is playing because Todd Graham has been famous through the years of really experimenting in spring practices and even in fall camp and looking at different players and seeing how their skill sets translate to different positions and perhaps on a different side of the ball than they were recruited on. And that was the case this week is on Tuesday, we spotted a pair of redshirt freshman wide receivers lining up in the defensive backfield where, of course, Arizona State has struggled to recruit in recent seasons so this week Tuesday you saw Frank Darby taking reps at kind of the nickelback the spur position for ASU and you saw Jeremy Smith lining up at safety for the Sun Devils and when you say trying their hand at the other side of the ball I think you pretty much almost exclusively mean going from offense to defense yeah pretty much because it's Ty Graham now um you know there like you may be a couple little exceptions there of course last year you had uh, Christian Hill play on offense in the Sparky package as an example, right? But um, the first first few days, first week or so of spring ball, and then again in fall camp is typically when you'll see ASU look at moving a guy from one position to the other side of the football. It's almost always going to be where they have um, uh, talent, question marks, depth issues, We've seen it quite a bit at double backer over the years, obviously, and ASU's had a slew of guys who haven't worked out. Who hasn't played double backer through the years is a better question. I, I, I keep waiting to see you out there <laughs> at, uh, at double backer. Um, but 
but no. Um, so this year, of course, you have Lyle Mokiola is moving on at Spur. So Frank Darby's a guy that they're taking a look there. Physically, he looks like he can play. He's, he's added some good size. He's a kind of a ruggedly put together uh, a wide receiver at 200 plus pounds. And then Jeremy Smith is is look, being looked at as a safety. Uh, keep in mind that uh, not only is ASU thin in their secondary, uh, especially until they get the uh, the new additions that are coming in the summer. Uh, but but beyond that, they have Armand Perry's out for the spring. Uh, he had surgery for undisclosed injury, and then you have uh, Marcus Ball, who's been in green and not out not out in some of the eleven on eleven segments. Cream Orr's been in green. Well, that's three or that's your three key returning players that you have. So, uh, and then and then why would they be doing this? Well, they're pretty good at receiver. It looks like and definitely they have good numbers there as far as the the amount of guys that can probably help them play. So you might as well take a look at guys who won't be starters but have a chance to help you on either side of the ball and figure out where that would be best served for your team. One of the players we were intrigued with entering the spring who has that positional flexibility in the defensive backfield could play safety or corner as redshirt freshman Chase Lucas, a former four-star recruit. Big expectations for Lucas. Todd Graham has already spoken about him earlier this week and Lucas has been lining up at cornerback so far right we didn't know and where he would be that might change he could easily end up being a field side safety Uh, they're gonna probably take a whole nother look at this again in the fall when they add um, three or four more other guys that could potentially play right away in their secondary at some at some positions Uh, Evan Fields is a guy they've spoken really highly of they they added um, Alex Perry, who's a four-star corner, and then they just added late their first junior college cornerback who's got three years eligibility. And so what's that going to look like? It, it could be very different in August versus what it is now. But Chase Lucas has that position flexibility. Phil Bennett has demonstrated in his past that um, – that there's a lot of interchangeability between the corners and the safeties and how uh, those guys need to be able to perform from a skill standpoint. And, and um, But what we do know is that ASU needs somebody to step up. It, it, multiple players that weren't uh, at all on the field last year are going to be relied upon this year to, to, to step up. Another position the Sun Devils are short on in depth is the inside linebacker spot. And this week we saw Christian Sam, DJ Calhoun, Kalen Thomas, and Dion Guignard working an inside linebacker. And on Tuesday they were joined by Malik Lawal, a sophomore who has a lot of explosiveness, potential as a pass rusher. Lawal on Thursday was working with the devil backers and Sean Slocum. So Lawal is sort of a flex player. Uh, he can play inside linebacker. He can be a rush uh and defender he can play with his hand in the ground Karan Crump wasn't uh, he was working on the side on Thursday so I think Slocum wanted to have two guys at that devil backer position uh and and um of course AJ Latu is there and then Karan Crump is a flex guy and it makes it easier to work but uh, they're going to get a, one or two more guys there in the fall and um but a, as you said there Kerry inside linebacker um, Christian Sam, DJ Calhoun are your first team guys and probably going to end up being your starters. But then you have 
Kalen Thomas, who had a meniscus tear and is, is getting back into things. Dion Ginyard was sort of a flex option between spur and inside linebacker last year, but the way that Bennett probably will use that spur position is a little bit more of a nickel, a little bit more of a coverage guy, and uh, and Ginyard doesn't really make a lot of sense there, and so the him moving inside to safety, I mean to inside linebacker, pardon me, just um, sort of makes sense. So we mentioned Karan Crump, A.J. Latu, Malik Lawal have all worked with the Devil Backers this week. One player who has not worked with the Devil Backers exclusively in practice is mid-year enrollee 2017 signee Doug Subtil. Subtil working with the defensive ends this week. JoJo Wicker told me on Tuesday after practice that he could see Doug playing at both Devil Backer and defensive end, but right now, so far exclusively, we've seen Subtil working with the defensive line. Something we're going to really get into a lot on the premium side, but yeah, um, Subtil is making that adjustment, working with Michael Slater, a lot of feedback that he's getting on some of the skill stuff, and uh, he's just acclimating right now, and, and where is he going to end up, what's his role going to be, all that stuff is, is very far ahead of him in terms of really fi- sorting that out, but uh, the big takeaway, of course, was that he's not working with the devil backers um, right now at the at the outset of spring football. Todd Graham has said after practices on Tuesday and Thursday that talent will not be an issue for the Sun Devils this season. But when you look at this defensive backfield right now for ASU, you, you can't help but notice the shortage of depth and see ASU relying on players that the Sun Devils haven't had to rely on in recent seasons, haven't been able to rely on in recent seasons. The first team in the secondary, they were looking at Chad Adams, a senior who's been pretty much a career reserve, Tyler Wiley, a junior who got a look early last season at Spur, didn't pan out there for the Sun Devils, and Ty Thomas, a 2017 mid-year enrollee three-star recruit from texas uh and those three guys have really gotten extensive looks this week there's a possibility that todd graham went to his bookshelf and and grabbed the secret and now he's trying to speak it into existence (laughs) with with his talent level um he has said that twice i think that that's a stretch when you look at what they have that's returning in their secondary and just given, as we've talked about a lot, um, how bad that they were on that in that area uh, in the last two seasons. But um, and then especially when you have Armand Perry, who's out and some of these other guys who are limited right now, uh, they, they need they need um, multiple newcomers and or guys that didn't play much last year to be able to stuff up. Is that Maurice Chandler? Uh, Jamarcus Rhodes isn't with the team the first week. Um, our understanding is he's going to be back at some point, but he's going through some, 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 some things that have kept him away from ASU and, uh, and you have Ty Thomas who's like, Hey, this isn't so bad because (laughs) he's now getting first team reps in practice in some segments because of the other guys being kept out And, and, um, so is it going to be like a Ty Thomas and Evan Fields, Alex Perry? What what's what's this going to ha- what's this going to look like? But the talent level, I think, on offense is less of a question than it is on defense. And uh, on defense, it's less of a question the closer you get to the line of scrimmage. 
certainly and flipping things over to the offensive side of the ball one of the first things that jumped out to me this week in practices were the explosiveness of the wide receiver group and coach Rob Likens a first year position coach at ASU working with that group and one of the things that we wanted to do is run through the receivers that ASU had who fits as an outside receiver in Billy Napier's scheme who fits as an inside receiver in Napier's scheme Obviously, the headliner of the group is Nikhil Harry. He's always going to be an outside guy. And when you look at the other players in this group who can play behind him or opposite him on the other side of the field, right now this week, ASU has Terrell Chapman playing on Nikhil Harry's side of the field and John Humphrey opposite him with Kyle Williams and Humphrey battling on the outside of that Z position. Yeah, um, Humphrey is a guy that has stood out to me in the first week. He's one of the faster guys on the roster for sure. Um, Obviously you can just plug Nikhil Harry into a starting spot. Kyle Williams is an athlete that we like quite a bit last year in practices. And Terrell Chapman is someone that been able to um, demonstrate fluency of the playbook and execution on a consistent basis. And that's kind of held him back. And then Ryan Jenkins is a walk on. Uh, who's taken some first-team opportunities um, on Thursday, um, which was kind of interesting to see, and, and, and he seemed to be doing well. Um, he was a scholarship player at Tennessee before uh, transferring after his redshirt freshman year to ASU, and he's now two years into the program already, so he has a chance to actually be uh, put on scholarship in the fall, I believe. Now, on the inside this week, ASU had Jalen Harvey taking first-team reps. He'd been an outside receiver in Chip Lindsey's scheme last year, and he was working with Ryan Newsom, who showed off great explosiveness, great agility in the wide receiver drills that we were able to check out this week, Chris. Yeah, um, I think one of the better athletes that you have out there from an elusiveness standpoint is Ryan Newsom, and uh, Jalen Harvey's a, a guy that, I love his toughness, and I think he's got the ability to play any of the positions. Uh, more of a veteran presence at this point. He's not that explosive from a speed standpoint, but he makes contested grabs, and I just think he's a pretty full-service guy. Uh, kind of surprised that they didn't have Kyle Williams inside because we, we expected that maybe he'd be able to play there uh, and compete against um, Ryan Newsom. But, again, they have as we've gone through this list, probably uh, at least a, a half dozen guys that have a chance to play at this level. And, and overall, athletically, I would say it's a, a pretty good group relative to what we've seen at ASU over the last decade or so on average. I think that Jalen Harvey is a guy who could really benefit from playing the slot in Billy Napier's scheme, especially if the Sun Devils do return to their run-oriented approach that Todd Graham wants because he is probably the best blocker in this receiving group. And if you put him in the slot, Billy Napier can send him in motion. He can work in 12 personnel sets as an outside receiver. And the Sun Devils can get creative with how they deploy Harvey and use him in the run game. So that'll be something to watch as this offense really takes shape. Uh, Another position group to watch is obviously the tight ends. This week, we saw a lot of 12 personnel looks from ASU. J.J. Wilson was playing a lot of inline, playing a lot of three back, was giving both of those looks. And then Tommy Hudson was playing as an inline tight end and Jared Buback, who looked uh, pretty good athletically, was playing as a three-back tight end in Napier's scheme. This is the position that's going to be benefited most by this transition and and that's something that Todd Graham has pretty candidly acknowledged. Uh, You have, uh, it's funny, even though there's no actual coach who's coaching the position, they have a new graduate assistant 
uh, someone who's never even to the best of our knowledge worked with the tight ends previously but um, JJ Wilson I, I think fitness is really important to him mental mental focus not being distracted but uh, he's a full service player who has the ability to uh, really make an impact at that group and then I like what we've seen from uh, Tommy Hudson and, and Jared Buback. I think Buback lost weight, uh, streamlined his physique. Tommy Hudson's an inline presence that you would probably see at in the SEC from a from a size standpoint as a guy who can move move bodies on the edge and sort of protect you there. So um, even though they don't have a, a, a lot of a depth, and especially with Grant Martinez moving into a coaching role. And then uh, with the departure to SMU of Raymond Epps, uh, who's a, a, a transfer, uh, I still think that they have a pretty solid nucleus. Now, the storyline that everyone is going to be following throughout the spring and really into fall camp, and it should be deep into fall camp, is the quarterback situation for ASU. Manny Wilkins is the returning starter. Todd Graham has said that on Tuesday and Thursday, but he also acknowledged there is plenty of competition at the position and through the first two days of spring practice you're not going to gain a whole lot of insight into the quarterback situation you're not going to see certain players take more reps than other players especially in periods of practice open to the media so what asu has right now is manny wilkins blake barnett the alabama transfer bryce perkins coming off an injury and dylan sterling cole the, the sophomore quarterback all working at the quarterback position right now. Brady White is out at practices. He's in a helmet, and he's in a jersey, but he's also in tennis shoes. He's coming off of that foot injury that he suffered at the UCLA game last year, his first career start. He said on Thursday after practice that he expects to be cleared and ready to go by the beginning of summer, so he'll be able to join that competition for the Sun Devils. An interesting note on this quarterback situation, though, Chris, is how Billy Napier's offense is going to shape the competition. And one thing that we noticed this week was that the quarterbacks were practicing taking snaps from under center and practicing their five- and seven-step drops, something we haven't seen from the Sun Devil signal, signal callers in recent years. So the, the, I'll be interested to see who actually displays the most competency in this when they start doing it in, in more uh game-like situations and um, not a surprise that we're seeing it with Billy Napier. We've talked about at Alabama how they uh, tailored their offense to the quarterback, whether that was more of a spread with Jalen Hurts or more pro style with a guy like Blake Barnett. And and Napier, of course, even before that was at Clemson where they, they played with a lot of two tight end sets and, and um, a lot of uh, quarterback under center. Um, at times, and and so I think they're 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 moving in that direction. Todd Graham has a certain philosophy that he wants, which is basically run, play, action, pass, no huddle. And as long as you're operating within those constraints, uh, and you and you you are dedicated to trying to run the football, um, he's going to be satisfied. And, and last year, they got away from that a little bit. Part of that was a young offensive line and, and not being able to. Uh, establish yourself in the way that you wanted to. Part of that was some of your issues at quarterback, frankly. And But um, I think this year when you have more options at quarterback, there's an ability to go in a, in a few different ways schematically. And I, so I think whether you tailor it to Manny Wilkins' skill set or whether it's Blake Barnett or, or Dylan Sterling Cole or, you know, they're all a little bit different. And, and I think that's going to ultimately uh, influence what we see 
schematically from ASU, but you can't put the cart before the horse. You, first, you have to figure out who you think is going to be your best quarterback to help you, and then you sort of try to put that guy in the best position you can. A few more updates to pass along on the offensive side of the ball. 2017 mid-year enrollee and running back Eno Benjamin is out of his boot. He's at practices, but he is not going to be a full participant this spring. At most, he'll be doing non-contact drills, so he'll be held out for much of the spring. And then on the offensive line, Zach Robertson, who earned a few starts in his redshirt freshman season last year, missed the first practice for ASU for a team rules violation. In the second practice, he was working off to the side. So it looks like Robertson will eventually work his way into the practice setting, and that could be as soon as Saturday. you got to find a tackle here, uh, replacing Evan Goodman on the left side. Talk a lot on the premium side about kind of what that looks like and and, um, what players are in the mix there. And um, other than that, ASU does have some some building toward maturity with their offensive linemen. You look at Sam Jones, Quinn Bailey. These are juniors now who have been in the program for a few years. A.J. McCollum is going to play center, whether he starts or not, but he's a senior. Uh, So you're, you're, you're getting... Um, these bigger bodied, more mature guys that are uh, in the program. And that, that's very essential to being able to be successful and, uh, and impose yourself on, on opponents. Now, last week on SunDevilSource.com, we published an article looking at the five biggest questions for ASU heading into the spring. One of them, of course, was with Phil Bennett's presence as the new defensive coordinator for ASU, would Todd Graham allow him full reign of ASU's defense, full control, and surrender that authority that Graham has had over his defense for his first 11 seasons as an FBS coach, regardless of who's been his defensive coordinator. Graham has always really had the final say on the defensive side of the ball, and for ASU to make sweeping changes on defense and recover from two catastrophic seasons on that side. Would Bennett be given the opportunity to really take over and assume control? And through the first two practices, he really has been able to, and that's because Todd Graham has taken on some different responsibilities this spring. He's working much more closely with the offensive side of the ball, and specifically because ASU has not had a tight ends coach this spring, and really their staff has filled out, so it doesn't look like the Sun Devils will. Graham has been working closely with the tight ends. Right, so they because they don't have a tight ends coach, and they have five defensive coaches, which they haven't had in the past. Graham is is spending more of his time on offense and and being more of that CEO type of a guy at this at this point. And that's easier to do in the spring when r- real football games are still six months away, right? But um, Phil Bennett is splitting the secondary with TJ Rushing. From what we've seen, you have Keith Patterson working with the inside linebackers. Sean Slocum has worked with that. Uh, buck slash devil backer position and um, you have Michael Michael uh, Slater who's working with the defensive line so what does that leave Todd Graham Todd Graham used to work with corners and practice quite a bit and then he was sort of um, the go-to guy on the defensive side of the football for play calling signaling and all that stuff we're not really expecting him to be doing any of that this year um, and and so uh that's the biggest difference in my estimation from a coaching standpoint and what the Sun Devils are going to be like in 2017. And it's really essential to see if that's how it ends up uh, playing out. 
So those are our updates from the first two days of spring practices for ASU. If you have not yet done so, be sure to log on to SunDevilSource.com and check out our practice reports that are fresh off the, the press on Tuesday and Thursday. Plenty of great updates for you in the Devil's Sanctuary Forum on those. And uh, Chris, now switching gears, after Thursday's practice, we were able to take in ASU's Pro Day, where more than 15 uh, seniors who exhausted their eligibility with ASU this fall competed in drills and tested in drills in front of 29 uh, teams or 29 NFL teams were represented with scouts. Three Canadian Football League teams sent scouts, and the San Diego Padres sent a scout as well to check out the Sun Devils Pro Day, because why not? Yeah, nobody was thrown any curveballs, though, so <laughs> who knows about that. But, um, look, ASU's going to have one player drafted, and that's going to be Zane Gonzalez, the best kicker in NCAA football <laughs> history. Um, and Zane Gonzalez was like watched with an eagle eye by the Cincinnati Bengals. And they sent about 15 coaches to look at him. <laughs> it on. was, that was interesting and, and, um, didn't really have the best day, but I don't think it matters really. Ultimately, uh, I, I'd be surprised if he's still around by the end of the fourth rounds. Um, but other than that, ASU had other guys that had really impressive, uh, performances, despite the fact that they're not going to probably get drafted. I think the guys that impressed uh, us most were probably Lyo Mokiola, uh, Deshavon Hayes, and Cody Cole. And those are primarily from a testing standpoint. There's nothing in the on-field drills that, that we're going to see from them that's going to be a surprise at this point, given how much we've watched them and, and uh, our knowledge about what those guys are on the football field. But from a testing standpoint, um, you look at Deshavon Hayes, he had... 240s that we timed at under 4-4. The second one was the fastest. We had two watches on it at 4-3-1 and 4-3-2. That's blazing. Uh, I had him in the um, in the the L cone drill at they call that a five cone drill or three I cone. I think it's the three, three cone. Three cone. Drill. Yeah, they had they had him at uh, I had him at 6.75 seconds, which is really fast. That's actually faster than. Uh, Demarius Randall was at ASU's pro day. I think he ran, he was like a 6.8 or 6.85. And then I had him at 4.1 in the shuttle, which is again, really fast. He had a vertical jump that was like 36 inches Mm -hmm. or something. Um, So people are going to, at a minimum, they're going to see this and then they're going to go back and watch the tape again. And the tape isn't going to really reflect all that well on Hayes. But he switched to cornerback and has spent very little time there in his career. And he's also a candidate to be a punt returner, maybe. So maybe he gets an opportunity in camp as a result of of, of this. And um, the biggest challenge for him, though, is going to be he doesn't quickly assimilate process and be able to execute. And I don't know how you really fix that. And and um, then the other guys, uh, Cody Cole had like a 35-inch vertical jump. Yeah, which, 35 and a half inches on the vert. That's crazy. And then he had a 22 bench reps, which is good, at probably 230-some-odd pounds or whatever, 240, whatever he was. He said he was 243. That's great. Yeah. And then um, and then he ran under 4.7, just under 4.7 in the 40. Um so 
good on you, Cody Cole. And he had probably two dozen family members out there wearing Cody Cole shirts that were in supporting him, which was pretty cool to see. A local guy, his brother obviously played tight end at ASU. Uh, he did. And then Lyle Mokiola, probably the biggest surprise of the day for me was seeing Mokiola run two forties that were in the four fives. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he'd be closer to a four seven type of a guy. And uh, he jumped really well. What was his vertical? 38 and a half 38 or something. And a half, yeah. And then, and then um, not great on bench. It was like 12 or 13 reps, but given his injuries and, and everything, um, that that's kind of understandable. And, and that's, that's really what will probably keep him from having much of a chance at making it in the NFL. He's got, He's been sidelined by two shoulder surgeries. Um, it just hasn't been able to stay healthy the last several years. Um, but the San Diego Padres were there checking him <laughs> out. I don't know what that means exactly, but um, baseball pl- baseball teams love shoulder injuries, right? Can I just say we're gonna we're gonna play the Lyle Mokiola um, interview at the mm-hmm. end of this podcast? But uh, now that he's kind of done in in. in sort of our capacity of covering these guys changes. And I just want to say that he, he's one of the classiest, best teammates that we've probably seen at ASU uh, in, in recent years. He's just a wonderful human being. If I re- was running like a Fortune 500 company or something, I, I would, I would uh, do everything in my power to try to get Lyle Mokiola to work for me because I think He's just a tremendous guy, and he really always has been, Kerry. I actually said this to Jake Garcia last night when I was talking to him about Pro Day, what went on. I said, here's a guy, Laiu Mokiola, who's not going to get drafted and it, it isn't likely to get much interest from NFL teams. But he finishes up his Pro Day workout, and he has a media scrum of six to seven people who want to write stories about him and want to hear how his day went because Mokiola, through four years at ASU on the field, always took time to talk with the media when ASU was good and winning 10 games per season, and when ASU was not so good and the defense was giving up 400 passing yards every game, Mokiola was always the guy who was the representative for that defense. You know, ultimately, in our capacity, I don't, I'm not the biggest fans of the guys who are the best players necessarily. I'm the biggest fans of the best people who also have maximized their potential or done the best that they could given the circumstances that were dealt to them. And, and Lyle Mokiola, to me, I'll always think that he's like one of the best people that we've covered uh, at, at the ASU program. And just humble, uh, classy, um, respectful in every way that you possibly could be, and, and not uh, about him. He's selfless, almost selfless to a fault. I, I love Lyle Mokiola. So we will play that interview with Mokiola that took place after Pro Day at the conclusion of this podcast. One final thing to do on this show, Chris, and that's to wrap up the basketball season. The Sun Devils were able to win their third game against Stanford this season in the first round of the Pac-12 tournament in that 8-9 game. Obioleka had a career game, which I thought was pretty impressive given the fact that the Sun Devils were going up against one of the top post players in the Pac-12, and Oleka pulled in something like 27 points and 13 boards, had an Ike Diagu-esque performance for the Sun Devils. But then, of course, they fall against Oregon. They kept things close in the first half, but 
the story for ASU all season. We mentioned this on our podcast heading into the tournament was this team was not built for tournament play with a six to seven player rotation. They did get more out of Andre Adams in the Pac-12 tournament than I think anyone could have reasonably expected. But nevertheless, that was not going to be enough against uh, really one of the top teams in the Pac-12 all season in the Oregon Ducks. So ASU falls and now the Sun Devils can begin looking forward to next season. I think the coaches are probably just ready to turn the page. They were so limited by what they had with their roster. And Bobby Hurley did a very good job this season in light of the challenges that they had. Um, he just said, hey, look, we're just going to go out there. We're going to play fast and loose. We're going to shoot a lot of threes. I'm not going to be too harsh on our players um, for shot selection. Uh, that, that, to me, is something that's going to be more of a um, thing to watch in subsequent years when you have more opportunities to sub guys and, and figure out a rotation when, when the, those that becomes tougher. Um, but it's hard to play really aggressive defense and play um, a, a more uh, half-court style of basketball when foul trouble would be the, the obvious byproduct of that, and you can't even afford to have foul trouble because you only have six or seven guys that can play. They're, they had no guards that they could bring off their bench for like half the season. Um, I've never seen a team that shallow. They did a really good job of, um, of beating up the worst teams in the Pac-12 this season. And there was a, a huge discrepancy between the haves and the have-nots in the league that we saw. The overall wasn't really a, a strong league, but then you had three teams that are all capable of being Final Four uh, uh, teams this year in, in Arizona, Oregon, and UCLA. Um, and so now they're in this, um, they, they have been for quite some time, this, this roster rebuilding mode where they're probably still going to add two more guys in the spring, at least one more. They already have three four-star guys that are part of this class. And I, and even though they're they're losing Torian Graham, who was the leading scorer in conference play, and I think showed in the Pac-12 tournament that he deserved to be a first or second team All League player, and, and was uh, wasn't treated fairly in that respect. I mean, how do you not have a the first scorer <laughs> in the league and make it out of 15 guys? But uh, so you, you lose him. Obi Aleka was like almost an automatic double double one of the better guys in that in that regard he was asked to play out of position he's really like a big small forward playing center um but asu returns trey holder shannon evans cody justice asu was in the top five teams nationally in fewest turnovers per possession this past season that's a great metric they have um a lot of offensive capability ball handling that's going to be back and then to that you're now going to be uh, adding Romello White, who's a six eight and probably their, was their best post player, but he was academically ineligible. Uh, you have uh, coming off of his torn ACL, Vitaly Scheibel, who's six nine and a, a stretch four man. And they they uh, have a newcomer who's uh, coming in, who's a six foot eight four star player in um, Kenny Wooten. Kenny Wooten out of Las Vegas. Thanks. And um, so there, and then, you know, what's going to happen with Jethro Shisumpa? Um, he's been basically suspended from the program since uh, the Washington road trip a, a month or so. He may or may not be back. We'll have to see on that. 
Ramon Villa, I think, is at, at, at most a role guy moving forward. Andre Adams, you mentioned him. I want to say Andre Adams had a, a, a pretty decent per rating. Uh, it was about that. It was about the the basketball average of 15. It was just just under that for a guy who had tendonitis quite a bit and wasn't able to play at times. I think if he's able to get past that and get over the hump, he actually has a chance to to to, um, to play a role at this level. But the roster is going to be quite a bit different. Making the NCAA tournament, though, is going to be very difficult. That's what people want to see happen uh, because even though UCLA will lose probably their three best players, they're going to reload. They have a great recruiting class. Oregon may lose its best player, Dylan Brooks. We'll see if he leaves. He's a junior. He was a, the Pac-12 player of the year. But they have plenty of talent around that, and they're not going to they're not going to drop out of the NCAA tournament at large status. Arizona pretty consistently as an NCAA tournament team. So you have those three teams. USC's in the tournament this year, and USC uh, has almost all of its key guys are juniors or younger. Um, several, one or two of them may leave, uh, but I think they're still going to be more talented than ASU, uh, or at least equivalently talented. So ASU is going to be fighting for like that four, five, six spot trying to get into that range and then hopeful that its resume with the non-conference and everything is good enough to give it a chance. I, I would say it's more likely that ASU is an NIT team than an NCAA tournament team next year. But this is the first, this is going to be the first year under Hurley in year three where they actually have a chance. Yeah. When you look at the way the Pac-12 shook out this season, Obviously, very top-heavy with Oregon, Arizona, UCLA at the top. Those three teams were all three seeds or better in this year's NCAA tournament. The Pac-12, as a conference, was fifth or sixth in RPI, depending on the measure you look at. USC was the fourth team that made the tournament. Both Cal and Utah had decent resumes. There was a case to be made that those schools could be NCAA tournament teams. Utah won 20 games. I believe Cal won 20 games as well. Uh, the uh, Utah was above 500 in conference play, but those teams didn't get in. So it really shows you the mark that you have to hit if you're ASU next year, if you want to go to that NCAA tournament. It's so hard. And one of the things that's been a constant conversation on our message board with fans is what's realistic to expect at ASU? Can they make the tournament uh, 25% of the time, a third of the time, more than that, 50% of the time, some people think um, you're probably on average going to have four to five teams in the in the Pac-12. Right now, Oregon's rolling. Arizona and UCLA, you would always expect to be in the tournament. ASU is going to be fighting for these one to three other spots. And Washington went through this really down cycle, fired Lorenzo Romar in the last week, and had a great recruiting class that may now fall apart. That could end up being a multi-year rebuilding process. But Washington has always had a lot of talent and probably will and get a good coach and they have good support. Um, Cal is uh, going to lose probably its two best players. And uh, Conzo Martin left Cal to go to Missouri. So now they're going to enter this rebuilding phase. Stanford uh, has gone through long stretches under Mike Montgomery where it was one of the best teams in the Pac-12, and they've been down more recently, but you could see a resurgence there. I think it's pretty obvious that Utah is one of the better coach teams in the league. Uh, Kristoriak and, and um, 
they had a, a, an average year, but average year for them is like 10 and eight in the league and, and 20 plus wins. So they're, they're going to be, it's a Kyle Whittingham average year. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So that, so, so they're going to be right there. So I, I, I just want ASU fans to not, um, be unrealistic or unfair to Bobby Hurley. Now that he's in this situation, it's tough. He's recruiting better uh, than his predecessors did. He's playing a style that the that that players uh, like to play that could help it hit him in recruiting further. Fans seem to enjoy the offensive style of basketball and the higher point scoring and all that kind of stuff. So um, even though I think it's probably unlikely that they make the tournament next year, I do think that they're building, and I think people need to be patient as you get into years four and five and beyond. We'll be tracking the Sun Devils and their movement this offseason, especially with that roster. They've already hosted junior college center Daquan Lake from Western Iowa for a visit this offseason. As Chris said, they could add one to two more players before next season Devontre, begins. Devontre Dutrive is a wing who's going to end up a top 100 prospect. or He's visited ASU unofficially, 6'5", could play the two or the three. ASU probably ends up signing two additional players um, this spring, even though it only really has uh, right now room for one, but they'll probably make room. And it looks like probably a big and a wing uh, get added to the program. And we're looking at more than half of uh, the roster basically being guys that have never played before at this level starting in the summer. So we're looking forward to tracking that. So that will do it for this week's episode of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. Spring football is underway at ASU. And of course, we'll have that Layu Mokiola interview coming your way next. How'd you feel about your job interview? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, being here for five years, you dream about this day, you know. Obviously, it's not the big stage, but still, you know, pro day and being here with the guys one last day. So it was it was great just to come out here, see all the work that you put in um, the last three months, just put it on display. But it's a blessing to be out here for sure. You're so team-centric, and then today is really just about, <laughs> about you. What's, what's that like? Or how's that um, I mean, that's just something I was brought up in. I mean, I have six siblings, and I f- find out it's bigger than me. You know, every decision I make is for my parents over there, sitting over there. So... It's bigger than myself, and that's what I try to just go out there with that kind of attitude and not beat myself down if I have a bad time. So, How many family members are out here supporting you? Oh, man, 10-plus. 10-plus, two of them with the same name. Uh, we all wear the same shoe size, so you can see we all wear the same shoes. We just pass it down. Yeah. You uh, People got all jazzed up about your vertical. How, how did you just feel about everything you did today? Oh, man, it was, like I said, it's a blessing. I mean, the training that we did, me and... All the guys, you know, sacrificing throughout the week, not going to Whataburger, Chick-fil-A, and just staying inside the house and eating Chipotle. And uh, it all paid off. I mean, you see the results from the guys. and We're just happy to come out here and just have one more shot because some guys wish they had this opportunity, and we just try to capitalize it. Were you most impressed by anything that you did? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, because, I mean, I try to rely on my training. So when I come out here, I don't have to act outside of that and I just be myself and trust what I've been doing throughout this time and and uh it'll go go well do they tell you about your 40 time or anything no I'm hearing numbers I don't know there's diff- different numbers from different people so I don't know what we had you in the four fives four fives okay cool I'll take that I mean 210 pounds you know <laughs> trying to slim down so I'll take that yeah would you play at 
Uh, played 215, 217. Had to lose that extra five from Chick-fil-A and all the desserts <laughs> I've been eating. Is it true that there was a baseball scout out here too for you? or Baseball you scout? That? I'm not sure. Maybe. Might have a future in that, hopefully. <laughs> Is that something you would be interested in? Oh, yeah. I'd be interested in that. How far does your baseball career date back? Oh, man. I played one T-ball. I mean, it's, it's kind of big in Texas, you know, baseball. I mean, every sport, really, even weightlifting. And that gets often overlooked, but it's just something I played up growing up on the street, but never could afford it. You know, I had to wear baseball cleats playing football when I was up to the eighth grade, and they're like, what are those? And I, <laughs> I had a pair of Easton's on, but that's all I knew growing up, you know. Were you training here at ASU, or were you training with a separate? Uh, I was training at Fisher Sports Fisher, in okay, Phoenix. Yeah. And uh, great guys over there doing a lot of... I mean, just like Coach Graham says, they really care about you as a whole person. They did a great job communicating. And it's, it's, a, it's a different kind of training because, you know, Coach Graham gets you ready for a season. They're just getting you prepared for one day, and then after this day, you're getting prepared for a season. So the training there is less volume, more de attention to detail, like injury prevention, getting you back to, you know, how you should feel, you know, first coming here as a freshman. So, so like, what's next for you, do you think? Oh, man, I would like to say I'm going to do the next five years, I'm just trying to, I really want to play football, but uh, if that doesn't happen, I want to get into coaching, and that's some, uh, you know, networking with a lot of the guys, and something I'm passionate about, um, whether that's the college level or high school level, uh, any place I can get my feet in, you know, and impact other guys that, you know, have been in the same shoes as I have, and, you know, use that as my purpose here on earth, so, I mean, that's something I, I want to do in the future, but talk to you guys, too. Yeah. Let you know how it goes. Are you feeling like even even if it's like a free agent route that you got a decent chance? Oh man, I mean to get that shot, get get to the door and just have everything in my control. You know what I'm putting to the table, just to get the opportunity. I'll be enthusiastic about it and, mm -hmm. and do the best I can. You know what I mean? And there's nothing more much I can ask for. But uh, throughout all the bumps, and, you know, throughout my career here, uh, just to get that phone call would be amazing. Yeah. Today was such a big opportunity for you. How did you keep those emotions in check? Oh, the biggest thing was like right stuff on my my hand, reminder when I get on the bench, Bert, and like scripture, you know, and just reminding myself it's just another day in my life, it's just another chapter, and it's not it's not the final day, you know, and putting everything in perspective and knowing that you know all these guys tomorrow's not guaranteed. So after this, this is the best part. I get to hang out with family and friends and just. Talk about memories, you know. So. Eat Whataburger. Eat Whataburger, there you go. <laughs> triple stack, triple meat, triple cheese. You mentioned riding this stuff in your hands. What's your favorite verse? Uh, Joshua 119, for sure. How come? Um, that was, you know, a verse that's been, uh, that could be applicable to everything, you know. Um, it's not talking about the fear, be strong and courageous, but it's not talking about like a physical strength. It's talking about keeping your eyes on the main prize. You know, here on earth is only temporary. And we're not living for this life, but another. So yeah. try to keep things in perspective and hold things loosely. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate Thank it. You. Appreciate it, man. Thank you guys, man. If I don't yeah. see you guys. Thank you for yeah. everything. Appreciate you Good guys. Job. Thank, Thank you. you.